Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's the Fight Fan with Pete Hoffman time. Y'all must have forgot why we the best. People say the punches weren't really necessary. What do you mean why were they not necessary? Because he was already knocked out at that point. But it, the referee hadn't pulled me off. And my job is to hit somebody till the referee pulls me off. So to so those people, I would say maybe don't watch him and they go back to soccer. You know, I made history here tonight. I set another record. It's my name in history one more time. WFAN and Odyssey.com. You guys caught me under under a bad bad time, but you know what I'm saying? The rock's cool. I like ballers. I like ballers. You know what I'm saying? But he picked the wrong side. He picked another side so he could get it too. He could get his ass whipped too. Straight up. With all due respect, he could get it too. I definitely want to defend my 145 about. And let's see, I'm gonna talk to Dana. Dana, tomorrow I'm gonna call you. We're gonna have a talk. I love you, boy. Here's your fight fan host, Pete Hoffman. This is the fight fan with your host, Pete Hoffman. Follow me at the Hoff WFAN, at the fight fan WFAN on Twitter, at the fight fan with Pete Hoffman everywhere. YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, WFAN.com, and of course, the Odyssey app. This week we will have joining us Megan Olivi. You know her. From the UFC, she's an analyst. She's a reporter on the side. She—you always see her introducing fighters as they walk in, and then interviewing them as they walk out. Um, and also, you might see her if you're an NFL fan. You might also see her as well, as she has done uh, some NFL games over the past few years on Fox. So she joins the show. She gives me a good half hour, forty-five minutes, talks about everything and more. It's a fun interview, and also. If you, for all you local fans, all you Yankee fans, Ranger fans, not, not Ranger fans, Yankee fans, Giants fans, she is originally from the East Coast. She's from Jersey. So she is born and bred local sports fans. She has some cool uh, sports stories, so she'll share with us too. So that'll be in a few minutes. Megan O'Levy. But this weekend, the return of Cody Garbrandt versus Rob Font. Very excited about this fight. Cody Garbrandt, I've loved watching this guy's career for a long time. You know, he came up. He was one of those guys, not a Conor McGregor-esque because of the the talking game. You know, Conor McGregor came up and really stole attention by what he did in the cage, but also what he did outside the cage. What he did when he talked at the podium and what he did in the press conferences and the things he had to say. Cody 
was more about the flash he had in the cage. It wasn't so much about the talking uh, outside. You know, he, he was it, the ultimate fighter with him. It wasn't even him. It was, yeah, it was him and TJ Dillashaw. That was really what set him off, and that's what kind of put his him more on the map as far as uh, his voice. And it actually stemmed even further than that. If you think about this, it goes back to when Uriah Faber and Conor McGregor's Ultimate Fighter, where TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt were both on the same team, um, and Cody actually backed up TJ Dillashaw, and that was a very—you got to go back to history of TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt. That itself is, and alone, is its own podcast, uh, especially now that. Both men are returning to the cage. TJ is making his way very soon to the cage. It's going to be very exciting. I think he's fighting Cody uh, uh, Sanhagen, Corey Sanhagen. So that'll be fun. Uh, it was supposed to happen a couple of weeks ago. Injuries kind of scrapped that. It's going to be in a few a uh, few more weeks. Is it going to be in a month or so? That is a fight that's on on the line either either way, and it should be good. But yes, yeah, so Cody Garbrandt, Garbrandt is making his way back into the cage. Um, so again, the way he put attention to him was in the cage, how he demolishes opponents. He was a knockout artist in the bantamweight division, and you don't normally see that. You didn't didn't normally see that. Uh, things have now changed over time. He himself has been knocked out a few times. But when he came up, that was that was a rarer thing to do. You saw more speed and, uh, you know, you'd, you'd see a lot of agility and you'd see these fighters that were very well skilled, but the knockout power wasn't there. Cody changed that, changed the game in that, in the bantamweight division. In my opinion, he did. Um, so he had some health issues going into those TJ Dillashaw fights. And he even had a couple health issues here and there in between his last fight where he uh, knocked out Rafael Asensio, if I'm correct, in that his last knockout, which was a sick one-punch knockout at, as a buzzer beater in the was it the first or second round, um, but it was a buzzer beater. It was sick. It was amazing. And those are what those are the fights that that you miss being in front of a crowd, like that moment right there. It was just so huge. It deserved the appreciation. That's another thing that we'll get into with Megan Olivia in a little bit. But th- that moment right there was so huge for him, for his career, for his family, just the, the comeback for his team, everything. So I'm a big Cody Garbrandt fan, if you haven't noticed. Uh, so I'm excited. I really am excited to see see what he brings back to the cage. It's uh, it's something that's very fun, you know. It's it's when you see somebody who was on the map, took a couple, uh, you know, took a seat for a little bit for multiple reasons. Uh, it's nice to see him back, and hopefully he's recovered. He said he's better now than he has been in, a, in quite some time, so that is super exciting. Um, in other news, it looks like John Jones is missing the boat with Francis Ngannou. Uh Dana White is on record stating that they're going to keep on moving on. They can't sit around for anybody. If he's not going to take that Stipe Miocic fight, then they're going to move on. John Jones might miss out on, on a heavyweight fight. And Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou seem like they're lining up right now. So it's one of those things where I love Dana White 
for getting things done. I hate the hard ball they still have to play. And is it justified? Sometimes, yes. A lot of times, maybe. There's maybe like six dozen in one, half dozen in the other. But it, with John Jones, it's difficult to state. It's, it's difficult to say that it's it's justified. You would hope that they're paying him enough money. You've also seen what they've done for John Jones to to move cards around specifically for him so he can fight on cards because they know the type of money that he brings to the promotion. Do I see that he just wants an absurd amount of money? I, I, I'm not sure where we're at. It's always a weird thing with John Jones. Clearly, he's one of the best ever. He's one of the best of all time. The one loss that is on his record is stupid, and it should be erased somehow from, from the record books. But he, one of the best of all time. So if it's a question of he won't fight Stipe Miocic because of the money, then we got to figure something out there. If it's just because he doesn't want to face Steve Miocic because it's the pride and he thinks that he needs to take uh, take on Francis Ngannou, now he has earned that right. But look at like even Michael Chandler. Now listen again, it's so weird because you look at all these fighters. Michael Chandler just came up from Bellator. He's a former champion in Bellator and other places too, but most recently in Bellator. He had his knockout win over Dan Hooker, gets immediate title fight because other people decided not to take the fight, which, hello, John Jones decided probably not to take that title fight versus Francis yet because of the money. I guarantee that that fight was offered to him off the bat, and he said no because of money, which allows someone like a Derek Lewis to get in there for a rematch against Francis Ngannou, which, by the way, he already won once. Not because it was exciting, just because he outstruck the guy by, like, what, two punches? And I think it was a combined 50 strikes in three rounds. It was terrible. So, John Jones missing opportunities. Is this on him? Is this on Dana White? I would like to hope that it's more John Jones. Not because I want to hope that John Jones is, is, you know, is still creating issues. Just more of, I think that UFC has done enough for him and has moved promotions for him that I think they would come to an agreement if it was just financial-based, unless it was absurd and basically wants, you know, <laughs> the promotion, which Conor McGregor has asked for in the past. So that fight, that's that's a, that's a interesting fight that we were all looking forward to. It was John Jones moving up to heavyweight, looking to see who he's going to fight, and now we don't even know what's happening. So Francis Ngannou, Derek Lewis, that seems to be the most reasonable at the moment for the title fight. And Stipe Miocic will find out what happens with him. And he, again, being a former champ, does he need to take any other fight if it's not a rematch with uh, with Francis Ngannou? I mean, it's 1-1 right now. So he can wait it out a little bit longer, too, if it's not a John Jones. Because John Jones, Stipe Miocic is a money fight. That's not a That's not a title fight. It's a money fight for both fighters. Arguably the best heavyweight versus arguably the greatest fighter in UFC history. So we'll see. Another fight that unfortunately, unfortunately, fortunately, I don't know how you guys look at it, but again, boxing is its own worst enemy. Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua. 
it seemed like it was happening August 14th, August 7th, August 14th. And in, in uh, was it Saudi Arabia? That was what was set to go. We were one of those two dates, but it was going to be in August. It was exciting. Okay, cool, great. About time. It's been been some time. Joshua had his loss. Then got the belt back. Fury had to go through a draw and then find his way back and, and beat Deontay Walder handily with no problem. And now in comes the wrench. In comes the paperwork. In comes the, hold on, I get a rematch. Deontay Wilder, not sure what took so long, but he's stepping in and saying he wants his rematch and now slated to face Tyson Fury in July. Is Deontay Wilder for that rematch. That that, that Wilder versus Fury 3, which is right now one... 0-1, I guess. One win for Fury, a loss. Uh, no losses for Fury and a, and a split, a tie. If you're a boxing fan, do you really want to see that fight? I. That's my question to you. Do you want to see the Wilder Fury is boxing again, finding a way to get in its own way? The Joshua Fury fight or even Joshua Wilder fight should have happened a long time ago. And it's because of money. It's because there's just not enough. Um, it's not as competitive in the, the it's very top heavy. Very top heavy. And everyone wants to make their money. And it's always a, you know, we, we talk about this with the Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz trilogy. When is that going to happen? I used to joke, sometime 10, 15 years down the road, you'll see it on Bellator. That's where the trilogy is going to be. But it's, quote-unquote, a fight that is always available that could happen at any time. In boxing, they think that same way with all of their, quote-unquote, top elite fighters. The problem is the top elite fighters are slim to none. So you're talking about three guys. And they all can't fight each other over and over and over. So you just spread them out. And then you get a hiccup like Anthony Ruiz. Sorry, Andy Ruiz. Who beats Anthony Joshua and throws a wrench in there. And then Tyson Fury beats Deontay Wilder. So you went from Anthony Joshua to Deontay Wilder. That was going to be the big fight, the big heavyweight fight of the century. Heavyweight division is back. And now we're trying to figure out, well, could Joshua fight one of these guys? Well, no, because now Wilder's got to jump back in in there to get the, the Fury fight. And it's lackluster now. It's not as sexy as it once was. So boxing, pick up your game. It's getting frustrating. If for all the fight fans out there, you know how frustrating that is. Anthony Joshua should have fought Deontay Wilder years ago. And who knows what course both fighters would be on right now. John Jones should be fighting Francis Ngannou. Should be. 
But it's not the end of the world in MMA because somehow Dana White has figured out a way to put in other fights that are just as sexy. And he's built up a really good roster. Bellator is building up a really good roster. They really are. PFL is building up a good roster. The MMA game is really building up across the land. But boxing is so separate, so all over the place, it's very tough to build. They've got to figure it out because at this point in time, we're get, really getting, uh, I'm getting frustrated again. I'm not sure about you. I'm kind of over it. Again, this weekend, Cody Garbrandt, Rob Font, we will always have picks on the uh, on Twitter. I will do it on the day of the fight because you just never know who's going to drop out because of whatever, whether it's bad uh, weight cut, whether it's COVID-related, some sort of random injury like Tony Ferguson with his you know knee issues and whatever. So follow me at the Half WFAN and at the Fight Fan WFAN for picks. But now let's get to it. Megan O'Levy of UFC joins us. We get into a bunch of stuff. It's a really fun interview, so I hope you enjoy it. Here she is, Megan O'Levy. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Fight Fan with your host, Pete Hoffman. We're being joined right now by Megan O'Leary of the UFC and also NFL on Fox. You still doing that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. I uh, had my third season last year. This will be my fourth. So very exciting times. That is by I love to see. Listen, I've, I've watched UFC forever, but I like to see other people in other areas experience the cool like what i see on a regular like to have you on nfl is awesome so what's yeah, your, what, what is you. what is your favorite part about the nfl you know it's just totally different like it's it first of all it's a very short day on sundays it's just really the game a couple hours beforehand where you know we'll have eight hours of fight sometimes um so it's it's very different it's just different challenges and it's for me it's unique in terms of how do i how can I be a storyteller in a role that has a lot to do with just reporting the facts of what's happening in front of you? So I always try to bring in that storytelling element that I feel like I um, do well with the UFC. So I try to bring that over to the NFL and it's actually worked 
worked out for, um, you know, for all the broadcasts I've been on. So it's been really cool and it's just fun. And, but once I did like a couple of games, you just realize all athletes are kind of the same. Like there'd be, <laughs> there'd be football players and I'm like, Oh, they remind me of this fighter or fighters that remind me of certain football players. And so it, it was actually a much easier transition than I thought it was going to be. And so it's, it's been really fun. It's just a new different challenge. And it's, it's really rewarding and it sounds um, selfish, but it's rewarding when people see you being able to do two sports. So they can see me do a fight one weekend and then a football game the next. And to get that sort of feedback where um, people are surprised that I'm on a sidelines, you know, it it's, it's fun. It's nice to be able to surprise people like that. Do you, cause again, you're from the East coast, but are you like a West coast? Do you have a West coast team that you like? Do you have an East coast team that you like? Do you have any, te- you have any sport rooting interest at all? I mean, the giants for yeah. sure were my team growing up, you know, um, my first NFL game I ever did as a reporter was the giants versus the Texan Houston's. I mean the Houston Texans, sorry. And, uh, it was amazing because here I was like, years before wearing an Eli Manning jersey and then I'm interviewing Eli Manning on the field and it was just kind of like a full circle moment for me I was a Giants fan my whole life I mean I think the first jersey I ever had was a Tiki Barber jersey and um you know big fan of Michael Strahan and and those guys now I, I would say because I work in the league it's kind of more about like hey who was really nice in their interaction do you hope they do well you know what I mean it's a little bit more individual based or coach based um revolving around how our experience were in person than maybe as much as a hardcore Giants fan as I used to be. Where, like, cause I, in the UFC, clearly you've been there for so long now, you know, these fighters on so many different levels to interact with the, these NFL guys. Is it, is it difficult to really try to like hit them with a, a hard question or something or no? No, I think sometimes the NFL players are a little bit more conditioned to the type of media that they are expected to do. Um, you know, they have these obligations and there are punishments if they don't do them. So I think that um, at times it can be a little bit easier because with fighting, it's more personal. So I always want to shape it, it for me, at least when I ask questions to make sure I'm being as respectful as possible in the process. And with NFL, sometimes you literally don't have that opportunity. You don't get to be able to take the time to make it a conversation and stuff. Sometimes you just have to get like three or four questions in those two minutes you can and try and get all the facts you can. Uh, But they're kind of used to it. So I would say, I, you know, a lot of them played college ball where they had tons of interviews and then they go into the NFL where um, every single week they're doing multiple um, different media sex. So it's, it's, it's pretty easy, I think, um, to get them to answer stuff. Now it's tricky on game day when you're on the field and you're trying to like between things they're doing to make sure you get the most up-to-date information. But that, I would say that's true for any athlete. Like who wants to be bothered on game day, right? Right. Oh, no. And that's that's the criticism of ESPN. Uh, they put you in a bad spot and I, I, you handled it well. But when – listen, and I've heard the mixed reactions from the, 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 the trainers and stuff like that that – they're not thrown off by you asking questions in the middle of, of a fight. But oh. I, know, I know me as a, as a fight fan, I was sitting there going like, how are they okay with that? Not, not, it's not, you, not your fault at all, but, but they put you in a spot where it's, it's tough because the fans are a little nervous. I'm worried about the fighters. Yeah. So funny enough, um, the two coaches that I did that with between rounds are very, very good friends of mine. So we cleared it beforehand and made sure that they were comfortable with it, kind of told them the gist of what we're going to be looking for in between rounds. Um, 
And we had to try, right? Like it was, we wouldn't know until we tried. And we see other sports and we even see other MMA organizations do that a little bit. Like boxing does it a lot. We, I think LFA does it a little bit. They'll either mm-hmm. talk to the coaches or they'll hear, uh, they'll hear sort of uh, a, uh, I don't know, like they'll say, oh, the coaches said this and that. And they'll kind of give like a, oh, this is the explanation of what I heard in the corner. So I understood the idea of it and I was willing to try it with coaches that I knew um, we had mutual respect for, um, and that they would be okay with me asking questions. And I felt okay asking them, but fans kind of had the most adverse reaction to it. They were like, what do you do? As if I just surprised them like, Hey, <laughs> you know, hi, I'm over here. Yeah. I'm like, no, they knew. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was, it definitely was interesting. Um, I didn't personally love it, but if it was going to be a part of my job week in and week out, I would learn to love it. But it definitely, um, I think, doesn't necessarily have a place within a UFC broadcast. I just don't think that it's wise for us. And I think that's where like the Trevor Whitman on commentary um, and you also see Dean Thomas Thomas doing it lately. That is where we kind of found the middle point of what works and we're really trying to figure out this corner work and how can we utilize this 60 seconds to the best of our abilities. And I think that's where we have other coaches kind of analyze what they're hearing or what they would like to see. And that is like a much better content uh, nugget than maybe what I was doing. Well, but listen, I like that you guys gave it, gave it a shot because, you know, listen, I'm a big baseball guy. So I sit there and I listen to like, you know, they'll go to to, to Aaron Boone or Joe Girardi or whoever yeah. the manager is in between yep. innings. And it's different because like in between innings, people are sitting there going to the bathroom. They go do whatever they want to do. They'll warm up their arm a little bit. It's not as intense as a situation as MMA is. And that's what people forget. That's what like, and so that's where I'm like, I do get, I'm like, okay, this is the very, this is a very important time right here. If you miss something, if the coach misses something, it could be, could be dangerous. could be deadly. No, exactly. Um, Baseball guy. How about Corey's no hitter? Oh, I know, I know, I know. That was, I'm a Mets fan. But listen, I, I appreciate it. My son is a Yankee fan. He woke oh, up. Oh, yeah. And he was super pumped <laughs> about it. But it's now kind of like, okay, we got six no-hitters. It's barely a month and a half oh, into the season. I know. Are you, are you a Yankee? You're a diehard Yankee fan, aren't you? Oh, yeah. So I'm going to see if I can move this correctly. That's like a brick from originally Yankee Stadium. I've what? actually got here. Dirt from original Yankee Stadium. Oh, yeah. The Yankees are my first love in life. You're a dirt girl? How, now, where, where, tell me how you, because my friend used to do this all the time. He used to go to every stadium, used to find a way to like sneak to the side and just scoop it up. How'd you, what was your approach to getting the dirt? My dad got it for me. Oh. He's the sweetest. He yeah. was like, yep. She, uh, I don't, I, I don't quite know how he was able to bring it home, but I think he had a little container and he brought it home with him. We've got it in a, uh, like a glass frame now. And yeah, he's the best. I, uh, dirt, uh, brick. And I actually have seats from the original Yankee stadium as well. They're actually, they're still on the East coast at my parents' house. I need to figure out a way to get them here, but no, that was my, that was my first love in life is New York Yankees baseball. <laughs> I'm laughing at that because I think everything that I wasn't sure to do with is still at my parents' house. I think that it's everybody's right. It's like, it, I, I live 20 minutes from my parents, but it's still there. Oh. <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> um, how, I, do you know where the dirt was? What part of the stadium the dirt was from? Was it the outfield? Was it the mound? You have no idea. In, uh, infield, infield. 
Very cool. My friend used to do the same thing. It was it's very cool. I couldn't understand it. And then after he did, I was like, I probably should have done the same thing too. It's, it's very, cool, it's, right? It's very cool. The fact that you have a brick yeah. is pretty badass too. Yeah. Um, so what was your favorite Yankees team or Yankees player, I should say? Well, um, my very favorite player probably as a whole was Paul O'Neill. So I, I wore number 21 and everything when I played softball. I, ju- I did a charity softball game uh, last year, and I wore number 21 for Paul O'Neill. Oh, um, awesome. Big Paul O'Neill girl. I loved uh, Joe Girardi when he was the catcher. Um, of course, Mariano Rivera and then Derek Jeter as we got older. And he his star kind of started to really rise. That's where, you know, we all became like massive fans. But loved Andy Pettit. Um, who I actually like loved Chuck Knobloch and stuff. Like I, I was, I, you know, just some random players, but no, I, 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 the 96 team, the 98 team, I mean, I would fall asleep during playoff games or the world series. My dad would wake me up, you know, for the last two innings to make sure I saw the win or whatever it was. So, um, I don't watch as much as maybe I used to, or I should, but uh-huh. they're still like, I was just in Houston last weekend for the fight and I was wearing my Yankees hat everywhere. Just mean mugging people. Like let's fight. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Are you, are you a hate yeah. the Astros? Are you, are you against the Astros? Oh, okay. I listen. And it's crazy because some of the players like I'm friendly with. Real? Oh, oh would you like Correa or uh, Carlos Correa? Are you friends with yes, them? Yes, because they're, I mean, we're friendly. I wouldn't say we're like friends on a personal level, but, um, you know, they come to our events. They're big supporters oh, of the organization. Course. But, uh, nope. Boo. You <laughs> cheated. Get out of here. No, that's, and that's the, that's the funny thing is, so like the one thing I've done for building the, doing this podcast is I've been making like friends with a lot of player athletes that are players in professional sports. And, you know, it's interesting to get their side of things. I've been trying to get Carlos on for a little bit now. We just haven't been able to connect. I think he's a little hesitant because, He's maybe where it's New York market. I might crap all over him, but that's not my goal. I actually want to have a conversation because I'm an MMA fan. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. And I, that's how I feel too. It's like two separate things, right? Like I, I, I can't hold him to this standard uh, because when he comes to our fights, because that's not what he's there for. Like we're not on a baseball field and that's where I would like, you know, have my gear on and like maybe not (laughs) yell some nice things, but it's not. So I totally understand that you have to kind of like be able to separate him. But for somebody like me who just loves the Yankees so much, it's hard, man. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get it. Are you, are you by far uh, by a chance a basketball fan at all? You know, I used to be a bigger basketball fan than I am now. I've had um, some really lovely interactions with some players that come to our uh, events, but I wouldn't say I really follow basketball that much. I used to be kind of a Knicks fan. My husband is a huge Spurs fan because he was born in San Antonio. Okay. Um, but but yeah, we're, I would say that's the sport we watch the least in our house, including like hockey, football, baseball, MMA, everything. It's basketball is the least. So is is it MMA one? I'm assuming MMA has to be yeah. one because of the training yeah. aspect too. But then what's yeah. what's two? Is it football or or, or baseball? Probably football because um, when I am not working, I am watching as many games as possible. It's really tricky with our schedules. We don't often know what games we're working until like sometimes, I don't know, eight days before. So you want to make sure that you're following as many games as you can, or you might know uh, I might be going to Detroit for this game, or I might have LA for this game. So you want to keep eyes on it. So I try to be really productive on Sundays with watching games and making sure I, I, even if I'm watching only clips here or there, or just tuning in for a few minutes that I'm getting sort of the gist of what happens each week with each team. 
Last time I had you on, we were talking about Riverdale, and that was a show that you were very much into, which I I kind of fell off. I kind of it was like I had like watched like I watched like three seasons, and I was like, okay, I'm kind of over it. It was fun for a little bit. Is there something else that you're watching now? Because again, we talk about time. We're, our time is very limited. You're always traveling. You're always or you're always now. You're definitely traveling again. Yeah. Um, but with the sports and everything, what is the? Is there another show that you've been able to find time to watch? Yeah, I live in the gutter. Um, so I watch all trash reality TV when I have time. Um, I DVR everything so that I can just like watch it as quickly as possible. But like Bravo is probably the channel that besides wow. sports is on the most in our house because I've now sucked my husband into watching certain shows. Oh, so, Joe, like, Joe's into it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, well, he always watched Vanderpump Rules with me, but then we watched Summer House and he we were like in on Summer House, which takes place in the Hamptons. Um, and then what else do we watch? I mean, I watch all the Real Housewives, but we <laughs> we like series. So we like a lot of the HBO series. So right now we're I'm trying to catch up on Mayor of Easttown. Yes. So that's the one. Yes. Yeah. So we're, we're behind, but it's been so great and really we, we like series and he's a big movie guy, but I'm really not. So I think series is where we like fall in the middle of things because otherwise I'm just going to watch trash. <laughs> Listen, has he, you have to find, if he hasn't watched Tenet yet, I recommend you watch it with him okay. because that's okay. one of those major brain teasers. If you're into that type of stuff, this is different from Mare Town, which I like. I'm on episode yeah. five. I haven't fin- okay. I haven't caught up completely, but yeah. it's fantastic. But Tenet, it's on HBO. I couldn't recommend it more than that. It's Christopher Nolan. If you like Christopher Nolan, yeah, you know I love him. him. Okay, awesome. I definitely oh, love him. It's, listen, it's two and a half hours. So get ready. Oh. And it's a movie? Yes. And it's Denzel. Okay, okay, it's, okay. it's Denzel Washington's son is like the lead. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I'm in. Okay. You okay. sold me. Perfect. Good. That's what I try to do here. I try to sell people on things. Uh, so Megan, uh, Megan will leave right now joining us again. I appreciate the time. What is your favorite part these days about working with the UFC? Like, what is your favorite segment? Like, you know, we do segments, we do radio stuff. I'm a radio guy. So we, we have some bits here and there, but you do so much now. Like you're, you're situated in certain areas of the, of the, uh, of the arena. You're sitting there next to Joe Rogan, DC and John Anakin, giving some crazy ass reactions when, by the way, the Shane Burgos, I'm, I love Shane Burgos. He's my boy. I'm, I'm tight with him. I could not see that, but, but your reaction to that was like, it's, 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 it's priceless. It's not, it's scary, but it's priceless. So what is your, what is your favorite part of being at these fights? Well, I would say in terms of my job, my favorite part is the storytelling I get to do for certain walkouts because, you know, John and DC and Joe, they're tasked with the technical aspect of things. And sometimes they can bring in a little bit of storytelling, but you know, you're trying to compile 37 years of somebody's life into a 15 minute span. When there's this crazy fight unfolding in front of you, there's not really a lot of time to um, dive deep into their background or their personal history, whatever it may be. I think John does a wonderful job at it, but for me to be able to add that poignant storytelling right before or right during a fighter's walkout where maybe somebody at home has no idea who this person is. They've never heard of them, or maybe they're huge fans. It's my goal to give them a reason to care. And so that for me is really important because I could literally 
talk for, you know, minutes and minutes for every single fighter on our roster. And it still wouldn't fulfill how special each and every one of their stories are. And so I think being married to an athlete on the roster um, lends itself to me caring about them um, and how they're perceived as a human being and not just inside the octagon. I think, you know, when we watch athletes fight or we see their interviews on fight week, there's weight cuts, there's stress of the fight, there's crazy schedules and lack of sleep. And that is a part of who they are that week, but it's not who they are as a whole. And so for me to try and be able to give a little bit more detail, a little bit more insight into what makes them tick or what makes them happy or what they've been through, that for me is by far my favorite part of the job. But on a personal level, just just the team. And especially in 2020, what we kind of went through and how we, you know, we went to Jacksonville and we didn't know what was happening. And, you know, the world was very much still in lockdown when we did those events. And then we went to Abu Dhabi a few times and it was craziness. And it was, we were kind of on our own island. We've just become, we were always really close in this traveling circus. But now I think there's so much more like the the fibers that hold us together are so much stronger now. And it really is a family. And when we do fight weeks, it is special. We look out for each other. We're always, you know, trying to figure out, oh, hey, this would be really great for you. Do you want to do this? You know, it's always a positive for us. And so on a personal level, it's definitely the people um, that make the job great as well. I will say behind the scenes, I work, I've work. i worked with a ton of UFC uh, PR people and whatnot, and they're always fantastic. They really are so easy to work with. They're great people. So I can only imagine. It definitely feels like an awesome, close-knit uh, family. You know what it, yeah. really, it really is. How was Abu Dhabi for you, your experience? Did you did you love it or was it? did you feel uncomfortable at all? Was it really good? No, I, I, I would say – the only time I felt uncomfortable was the very first flight. And it was just because of the state of the world. Oh, yeah. um, but the UFC and, you know, the, the government of Abu Dhabi did such a tremendous job in terms of testing before we left, uh, mandating masks on the plane, testing pretty much every day we were there, if not a couple of times a day when we first got there and were in lockdown in our rooms. It was, I was just thinking about it this morning. Like it was it was crazy. It was like out of a movie. There were times where in our testing area, it was all this crazy lighting and it looked very sci-fi. I'm like, where are we? What are we doing? (laughs) No, it's like 120 degrees out when we were there in July, but also with crazy humidity. So, um, we were just kind of in this little world and this bubble and it was so fun. I mean, it was challenging. We did everything on, uh, us time or North American time. So that's very different than the Abu Dhabi, uh, timeframes. So we were doing things in the middle of the night, you know, we were waking up at 11 PM or, or I should say like 9 PM going to work at 11 PM working until 7 AM or 9 AM and then eating breakfast and going to bed, you know, it was this crazy schedule. And it, it was, that was the most difficult part I would say is like the, the schedule and the sleep and trying to figure out how to be, Uh, the best version of yourself when you're working all these different crazy time zones. But the experience itself was something I'll never forget and was, was so tremendous. And like looking back on it, it's like, man, we, we had a, we had it great. Like we had taco Tuesday and they throw us a big party upstairs by the pool. You know, we were like, there was karaoke night there were game nights. Like we got to live as if the pandemic wasn't going on for this certain amount of weeks. 
And it really lightened the burden and the weight on our shoulders in terms of stress and worry as we were continuing to do these live events. It was the best experience. I talked to some athletes and they were saying that to see what the UFC had done didn't make it say easier, but it was like, hey, if they could do it, then we can definitely figure something out on our own. Like the fact that baseball took till July, August to really start things up again. It's like the UFC was at the forefront of this. And I, and I love it. I, I love Dana's drive. I love the fact that, you know, you've already sold out two pay-per-view events already. You're selling on a third one. I mean, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. Give me that feeling. Tell me how it is to experience a packed house again. Is it, has it changed or does it, does it give you flashbacks from the old days when every event was packed? Yeah. In Jacksonville, I mean, I like, I have chills talking about it. It was, it was incredible because it represented a lot, not just, oh, look, we sold out an event. This is a great card. It represented like a return to normalcy for so many people. And now we have been able to have that a little bit. We've had limited crowds. We have limited capacity in certain places, but when, when the first combo feature hit and they play that music for the very first fight of the night in Jacksonville, the building was almost completely full and they went bananas at that moment where a lot of times, I mean, you wouldn't even have like an eighth of the building in oh, attendance no. yet. And it was just so special. I mean, we were all giddy. It was like the first day of school um, after the longest summer vacation you've ever had. And it's just so incredible for me you know, for my job, it makes things actually a little bit more tricky because it's like, okay, well, make sure the fans behind me are behaving or how do we get security to get me to this location? But a big takeaway for me is the positives it gives back to the athletes. Um, I feel like there's a jolt of adrenaline that comes from a crowd that cannot be um, duplicated in any other way. You can't listen, they are the, the greatest self-motivated athletes in the entire world. And they do not need a crowd to get them up for a fight. However, there is something to be said about what a crowd can do in those challenging moments, in those exhausted moments. Even at the start of the fight, before things even begin, it just lends itself to something extra for our athletes. And then when there are great performances and when there are these massive uh, fights to have a crowd, give them the immediate acknowledgement, I think is so special. Like when Rose Namajunas won the belt and everybody was going bananas in Jacksonville, like she deserved that. That was an incredible performance, but a couple of months ago, it would have just been like her corner clapping. And then, you know, a couple of guests in the arena clapping it, it gives the athletes what I think they deserve in that acknowledgement um, and that, you know, appreciation from the fans that is immediate. They can hear, see and feel. No, Megan, you're nailed it because I've said that over and over and over. Like I'm sitting there watching fights and I said, I will watch any fight. I'm just so happy that we have sports to watch. But as soon as the, the fans came back, I'm like, okay, I lied. Like, do we need fans? <laughs> back? We need every, we need it because it really is special. And it, and it changed. Like I, I have this argument with people. I think that the outcomes of these fights have changed due to the fighters. I mean, due to the fans, like they have literally changed the outcomes of the fights because of the energy they bring. I cannot tell you how many athletes have said that to us or how many athletes have said during the pandemic, listen, I'm so excited and grateful for the opportunity to compete, but I feel like there's something lost without fans. And, um, I would say the, the overwhelming majority of athletes have said something along those lines and then have 
also said something exactly like you were just saying, which is these fans gave me the power to do that. Or I don't know if I would have been able to pull that off without the crowd. Or when I was hearing this, I was, you know, it's just, it is, it is really special. And I do think it is important for, for everyone who's competing. You just think about the, the championship, but the title fight this last weekend. I mean, Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler, Chandler had seemed like it won the first round. Everyone was amped up. And then next, you know, in 19 seconds into the, to the second round, he gets knocked out and you just, that type of change. First of all, that's why I love MMA. That's why I was trying to push it on to people that love sports because I'm like, this is the one sport that you literally, it's a flip of the coin every time. You just never yes. know what you're going to get. And that type of change in the fight was out, outrageous. And it probably could have amped up Olivero too because of the crowd. But imagine if it was first round, there's no crowd. You, you feel like, okay, I just got beat the first round. You 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 may change the way you look at things. So I'm just happy what you guys are doing. I'm, I'm super stoked about it. And I, I just can't wait to come back to New York. Because yeah. I really want you guys to come back. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We'll be there soon. <laughs> Dana made it sound like it's going to be a while. But on the other hand, I will say that the mayor and the governor have come on saying that they're trying to up the capacity. And if I'm correct, uh, Dana's not going anywhere unless it's 100% capacity, right? Yeah. I mean, if we can sell out buildings and give and give our athletes the opportunity to compete in front of a sold out house, like, why wouldn't we? You know what I mean? Right. Who is the hardest fighter to tell a story about? There's because there's some of them that have questionable backgrounds. Like I am a Mike Perry fan in some aspect. I am a Colby Covington fan at some aspect. But just because I like how they fight, I like their style in the cage. Yeah. Outside the cage, they're assholes. Let's be let's be frank. You know, it's 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 tough. It's tough. And I've met both of them. And I even told Colby off the air once. I was like, I shook his hand. I said, "Dude, in the cage, you're incredible." You're phenomenal, but I just don't like some of the things you say. It's like it's pretty, it's pretty nasty. And he's like, okay, cool. And he shook my hand and he was very cool about it. We just it was no big deal. He's a different person. I understand shtick, but sometimes a shtick is a little too much. So who is the who is the toughest person for you to write it to, to tell a story? Well, I'll say a side note. Like I love working with Mike and Colby. They're actually very kind to me, very respectful. I've never had like a bad interaction. I do think it's a lot of public persona. And then, you know, with Mike, there are personal challenges that we all just want the best for him. Right. And hope that he finds a way to live his best, healthiest version of his life. And we'll, you know, obviously are always here to help in whatever manner we can. Um, Colby, I've known Colby forever. He used to like go visit um, Team Alpha Male in Sacramento and like play basketball with my husband way back in the day. So um, on personal note, really, I really enjoy those guys, but, um, the hardest person to tell a story about, you know, what's funny. It's not really an athlete, but sometimes when someone has a lot of media attention, not a Connor, because there's always a story with a Connor, yeah. but when you get those athletes that you hear about quite often, um, sometimes that can be the difficult one to tell a story about because, you want to make sure for me, at least, I don't want to give a report just to give a report. And it's all stuff you guys have already heard. To me, there's there's very little um, appeal in that. Now, sometimes you have to some I even sometimes have to ask questions that like, listen, I even tell the athletes like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you've answered this 100 times. But for our audience, can you answer it? But to tell stories about someone who has really like had a lot of media attention in the lead up to the fight, that can be difficult because you want to make sure it is new information that also 
has something to do with their fighting life or can relate back to the fight in some way. So I would say that is more challenging, just trying to figure out like, what is the angle that I can present that is different than what they've heard in the, you know, millions of interviews they've done in the lead up to this. Yeah, no, and listen, a lot, a lot of these veterans have been around now. The fact that the sport is getting so big, you, everyone does know everything. So that's gotta yeah. be, that's gotta be a challenge. Uh, yeah. we, we watched a guy like Tony Ferguson over the weekend. It was another rough fight for him. Benil Dariush, good for him with the win. Also a Tesla. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but Tony, you look at a guy like him, it's like, oh, he had so many, the, the promise between the Connor fights and the Khabib fights and all the stuff that we don't really, we never got to see those. Um, is this the tail end of Tony Ferguson's career? Is there like another, is there like another rebound? Like Cowboy Cerrone went through that for a little bit, you know? But I'm not sure. I can't remember if it was the same age in his career, same situation. But he yeah, lost both few- 37, I think. Right, right. So it's it's at the it's at that weird point. Where do you where do you see a Tony Ferguson going? Well, I, first off, I you know time catches up with everybody in this sport. It is not. It's not like a tennis. You can just like play until you're 75. You know, leisurely. <laughs> like it doesn't work like that. It's hard for me to say what I think an athlete should do or even what I think, you know, their age or performance says about them. Our sport is so based on like recency bias, um, which which can be challenging. Um, I adore Tony and think that he is so talented. I also think when you look at the sport, there's so much to do with luck. Um, there's so much, you can do all of the work that you can imagine. You can work as hard as possible and stay focused hundred percent. And still then there's only a chance at things working out for you. My husband always so eloquently puts it that way because, you know, funny enough, Daniel Cormier was just talking to somebody in our fighter meetings. I think it was in Jacksonville. And he's like, you know, it's not just about doing everything right. He said, and then you do everything right. And then luck comes into play. And I think with a guy like Tony, when you look at like all the missed opportunities with Khabib, whether it was somebody missing weight or Tony tripping on a wire and tearing his knee or whatever, it's like, that's bad luck, right? Like the, the wire, I mean, how does somebody trip on a wire at a studio promoting a fight? And then the fight gets canceled like that. That's on April 1st. April Fool's Day. I thought I was dying when it happened. I thought I know. I know. So it's like, you know, I look at a guy like Tony and I don't ever want to write someone off because of what their recent performances. I do believe that there are so many factors that turn into it. I know we had a new team around him and they, he had just uh, spoken about this week after the fight, like they didn't have a ton of time to work together. And I think of course that comes into play. I think sometimes athletes, some athletes are just better than others. So you might never win that fight against that specific person because they are going to always, you know, be the better performer in, in the fight. But it's really hard for me. And I, I don't, I'm very sensitive to it. I take it like very personally and try to always be as comforting as I can when I speak about it, because who am I to observe 15 minutes of somebody's life and, and make a statement about it? You know, all I want for all of our athletes is for them to be safe and healthy. And I want them to make the decision based on their love of the sport and nothing else. If Tony and Cowboy continue to fight because they love it and they're safe and they're healthy and they've had all the medicals done and they're good to go, go for it. 
I don't ever want anyone to feel a pressure to fight for anything else, because I think that's where things become dangerous in a combat sport or in all sports, really, in general. Um, but especially if you're going to step into an octagon with another human being and get into a fist fight, you need to <laughs> love what you're doing, not, you know, begrudgingly do it for some other reason. So that's all I hope for them. And I do, I always hope that whenever they make the decision to leave the sport, that it, they can go out the way they want to. Unfortunately, it doesn't usually work like that. Um, but all I want is just everyone to be safe and, and figure out what drives them. And if it's the love of the game and they want to continue great, as long as they're all right. I love Andre Orlovsky and that guy continues to fight. I'm just like, all right, cool. I'll watch it. I just be safe, my friend. Uh, exactly. but, but you know, it's funny you talk about that and, and I, a couple more questions. Uh, sure. Diego Sanchez, you know, I, everyone loves him. All the fans, original fans, they love him. And you see what he's going through right now. To see how he got parted ways with the UFC, it, it hurts. It sucks. And you see that 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 Fabia released that video of, of you guys. At, was it Abu Dhabi that was at? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, it first of all, it comes off awful for them. And I loved Paul Felder in that moment. But like, dude, what are you, <laughs> what are you talking about, man? What, what is wrong with you? And you guys do care about Diego. And I think we all do, which is why we're kind of ner- we're worried about the situation he's at right now. Can you take me to through those moments uh, for you in that situation? Yeah, you said it best. We all love Diego and we truly do want the best for him. And if someone is important in our athletes lives, it is going to be our duty to try and speak to them if we have the time and stuff. Um I hadn't worked his previous fight that he was upset about. Um, Again, like I said, things in Abu Dhabi, our schedules were very crazy, but I don't think any of us were going to completely ignore his trainer or anything like that. I understand that Josh wants the best for Diego as well. That's what he tells everyone. Um, But what my problem was and what me and Paul were privy to in that meeting that other people weren't, we were sitting in a square and Paul and I could see that Stefan Bonner was filming us. And so I wanted the rest of the room to just know that because the, we don't film those. So an athlete certainly can, it's no problem. Um, but when it's kind of done in a hidden manner, I felt like it was important to let the producers, the other talent in the room, just know like, Hey, kind of felt like they were looking for a gotcha moment. And he started filming and he kind of puffed his chest out and came out and, and, and was saying what he felt he needed to say. And I think had the, the message been given um, in a different delivery, it would have been better received than the way it was delivered and the way the, it kind of seemed like they were trying to hide they were filming. We all want the best for Diego. It is our intention. Like we work for the promotion. You know, it's not like we work for an outside organization that doesn't need to highlight our fighters. We only talk about the best for everybody. So it's certainly in our job description to promote Diego and uh, his his performances and stuff. So it was really just difficult with the way the delivery was. You know, there were some very lovely apologies um, the next morning at breakfast, but then I guess things went sideways again when they posted it um you know we only want the best for him and I want the best for Josh too like if that's if they figure out a way to make their things work like I'm so glad for them but I think trying to make others look bad 
while you try to make yourself look good, no matter who or what it is, never really works out. Um, and for me as a person, um, I can take, I'll take a lot of stuff like people say to me, or I won't really speak up, but if you come for anyone I love, which is every person in that room, that's where I'm going to speak up. And that's why I had things to say because we were so over our schedule and there's so much going on. Now other athletes are waiting and they're cutting weight and they have other things to do. So now all these different schedules are getting delayed. But if you try to make my friends feel bad or feel like they've done something wrong and they're unprofessional, like that's where I'm going to come. So it was less to do about me because I didn't work that last fight, but it was like, no, 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 we don't do that. <laughs> you, you need to preach. You need to exactly what you said. When you try to make yourself look, look better by making others look bad, it's, it's not going to work out and you should preach that message because that's all I see on social media, on Twitter. It just, it's just not, not good thing. Uh, exactly. This, this weekend we have Cody Garbrandt, Ralph Font. I love Cody. I love his story. I'm happy. He's rebounding that knockout. Uh, was it last year now? It was been, yeah. He, yeah it, it, he was, it was incredible. Uh, I'm excited to see him. It, tell me a little bit about Cody's return. Anything in particular about, have you spoken to him recently? Um, I haven't talked to Cody recently. I was actually supposed to do an interview with him and then it got, things got shuffled around on both of our schedules. So unfortunately, um, we weren't able to do it. Um, but I saw an interview he gave to Brett Okamoto and said, I'm not even the version of myself where I faced Dominic Cruz. And he looked like the world beater. He's like, I'm even better than that. And so I think that's really interesting. And I look forward to seeing, uh, what he can do over five rounds. Um, you know, he had some health issues that he was pretty vocal about within the past year that were serious and, and, and pretty scary. You know, the UFC obviously stepped up and got him all the help he needed treatment, whatever it was. But I think that can take a toll on somebody and having, you know, a, a long stretch of time off, um, can be challenging as well, but I think he's got a willing dance partner in Rob Font, which is sometimes where we see the best Cody Garbrandt performances. But I think Rob is um, just drastically underrated. He is an incredible boxer, and his MMA skill overall just continues to evolve. He's so exciting. He is so fun to watch, and he kind of comes out with this really tricky striking that um, really lends itself to him being successful on the feet. So I love this matchup. And like I said, I love that it's the main event because I think it could be interesting. Should it go into those later, as we call championship rounds, how this one could play out. Um, And I think a new contender could emerge. There's a lot on the line for this one besides just, of course, every fight's the most important fight of everyone's life. But to be able to win, to be able to win um, in maybe devastating fashion or impressive fashion and go 25 minutes really is a confidence booster should a title shot be next or a title contention fight be next. Uh, last question for you. I appreciate the time, Megan. Uh, is, is there a specific fight that hasn't been made yet that you're looking forward to seeing, hopefully? Or, or is there a fight right now that's been scheduled that you're like, okay, that's the fight of the year? Funny enough. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, man, off the top of my head, to be honest, I'm really just interested to see probably again, recency bias, but I'm interested to see who the heck Charles Oliveira is going to fight. I know because there are so many moving parts at 155 and there's so much talent. Um, it's one of those things where it's just so talent rich. It's almost like, 
uh, a negative for some of the athletes. Like, Hey, you're so incredible, but you're ranked like 10 or 11. I don't know how, what it's going to take for you to get to a title contention fight, but me between the winner of Connor and um, Dustin and Justin Gaethje, then you've got Benil Dariush in the mix. I mean, it, there's just, there's just so much going on at 155. Um, and to see Charles finally get the belt, he finally got a title shot after 28 fights. Um, but to see him get the belt and, and win it in that way. And now to wonder who he's going to be matched up with next. I just, for me, that's going to be the really interesting story of the summer. Like who, who will, um, shine as the contender at 155 next. I, I almost thought that the way Chandler was looked like he was going to run through Oliveira at first. I was like, is that enough to get Khabib out of retirement? Not going to happen. Not going to happen. But I was like hoping. And then after I see how what happens in the next round, I'm like, okay, it's, a, it's all for grabs. I think people were hoping that too. I think a lot of people were hoping that. But I I might be in the mon- minority of people who really think Khabib's not coming back. Like when I had that conversation with him in Abu Dhabi and then I talked to him again in Las Vegas months and months after he retired, for me, it seems like he's – very steady and holding firm in that. Like, I don't, I will be shocked and I will eat my words if he comes back, but I, I truly don't think it's even a thought in his, in his mind. I think he's moved on from it, which I, this is what I love, right? Like be at peace with the decision and you can't ask for a better way to go out than a perfect record um, and going out on top the way Khabib did. And not for nothing. I mean, he does seem to enjoy the coaching aspect of it, right? And he's great at it. He's great oh. at it. He's got an MMA organization that he runs as well. I mean, I think he's really finding other places where he can be fulfilled as well without competing. Megan Olivia, I appreciate the time. You're fantastic as always. And we'll catch up soon, okay? Perfect. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Megan Olivia. That was fantastic. Had a lot of fun as always. Um, and you, you'll see her on the UFC, pay-per-view events, and as well as Fox. So that's kind of cool. Um Thank you guys for following and listening at the Hoff WFAN, at the Fight Fan WFAN on Twitter, at the Fight Fan with Pete Hoffman, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, WFAN.com, Odyssey app, all that stuff and more. Again, picks will be there tomorrow, the day of the fight. That's when I put them out. So check them out. It's not just my picks, too. It's a bunch of other people, a bunch of other fight fans as well. So follow us for your, your picks. Next week, we will have a show. Uh, we'll have a podcast. I'm working on a couple different things. There will be no UFC fights, but there will be things to promote and to, to talk about as always. So check us out, and we will have more. So thanks again for listening. Thanks again for following, and I will see you guys next week on The Fight with me Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or 
I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.